Hello, fellow sleuths. I'm Kathy. And I'm Michael. You are listening to A Southern Sleuth. This is the story of Heather Nicole Milam. It's really the story of her death because I don't have a lot of information about Heather. I know that she was born June 20th, 1981. She had a happy, normal childhood in Georgia, as far as I can tell. She was very close with her Aunt Cindy, who was very much like a second mom to her. Tragedy did strike Heather when her mother died when she was a teenager. Heather was a teenager, and she came home and found her mother deceased. So that was very traumatic, I'm sure. Mm. And I just really don't have a lot of other info about her. But I do know she was a beautiful woman. You can see that from pictures. She was stunning, actually. She had a beautiful singing voice, and she often sang in her church. And it was in church that she met Andy Turner. I'm not sure exactly when they met, but I believe it would have had to have been around 2007, 2008. If anyone listening to this knows the exact time, you can certainly write in and tell me. She was married to her first husband, Philip, at the time, and Andy was actually providing marriage counseling for the couple. But what ended up happening was the breakup of Heather's marriage and the breakup of Andy's marriage when Andy and Heather fell for each other. Now, mm. Heather and Andy often said that they were married. They, I mean, they, they lived as husband and wife and she had his name. But in the later years of their marriage, a later time toward the end, Heather had told people that they were never actually married. There is a certificate of marriage, but the officiant listed on it testified in a court hearing that he did not preside over any ceremony. And like I said, Heather had told friends that they were never legally married. So that's just another confusion to this story. I really don't have an absolute answer for. What I do know is they had a child. Um, I believe she was born in 2010. Her name is Lexi. And Andy had three sons from his previous marriage to a lady named Mindy. Online, you can find a lot of stuff from her friends saying that Andy was a possessive, jealous, controlling husband. Now, I'm sure he has his supporters, too, but they're not as outspoken. Right. Now, according to emails that were published on the Justice for Heather Facebook page in the spring of 2017, things were not good. It seemed as though the marriage was at an end. A close friend said that Heather told Andy on May 1st, 2017, that she was planning on leaving him as soon as she could get things together and hoped to be gone by May 5th. Uh Uh-oh. So, 6 a.m. on May 4th, a 911 call is placed from 88 Buck Trail in Dallas, Georgia, which is where Andy and Heather lived. 
It was Andy on the phone saying that his wife had shot herself. Now, she was in the bathroom. The water was still running in the shower because he had to cut it off to be able to hear the 911 dispatcher. I will put up a link to this 911 call on the website so everyone can listen to it. It's been a hotly debated call amongst friends and family. Um, he is asked to do CPR. You do hear him in the call. Sounds like he's throwing up. So it's a long call. He says it's he and him, his seven-year-old daughter are the only ones at home. And that his wife, he heard a gunshot. And he went in and she had shot herself in the head in the master bathroom. And she was laying on the floor. She was naked. Her hair was wet from the shower now this call has pretty bad quality and michael i meant to have you listen to it before we did this episode but we just didn't get time because you might be able to figure out why it sounds like some parts are muted or edited like it goes completely silent where you can't hear i don't know if the 911 operator is being quiet to try to hear what's going on in the background because i know that sometimes they do that but it sounds almost muted from his end you can't hear anything going on now at some point his parents arrive during the 911 call you never hear andy leave the phone he tells the operator that the dead the deadbolt is locked so I don't know if his parents had a key or how they got in, which is not that unusual. I mean, sometimes parents have a key. That's just something I noted. Um, he did say that he called his parents first before calling 911, and his explanation for that was so that they could come and take care of Lexi. He, she did leave a note, he said, and all the notes, reportedly said was i'm sorry i love you hmm. and when asked what they had done the night before andy said that she kept him up having husband and wife time until 4 a.m now i took that to mean love making because i watched him say it in a television interview and it was just like the connotation he gave it right the so, way it came off right so he's making it sound like all was well and great that they were up until 4 a.m um and then she got up at 5 30 to get ready to go to work and then the next thing he knows he hears a gunshot now investigators did note when they came in that a wall near the toilet in the bathroom appeared to have been cleaned. Now, that's kind of odd. Well, really odd. Heather was cremated pretty quickly. Um, I'm sure there had to be an autopsy, but it's not available. And I don't know exactly everything that would be on that. I'd, I'd like to see it. But um, I do know that he had a new nanny for the children within about two weeks what you talking about willis and then they went on a cruise i guess this was already a pre-planned cruise the nanny went with them with andy and the children on a cruise pre-planned from how far back because that's that would seem like that would be rel uh, relatively incriminating if it was too far 
plan? Well, I'm wondering if it was supposed to be Andy and Heather and the kids, oh, and he took right. the nanny. Yes. Now, she was 17 years younger than him, this nanny, and they did become romantically involved. How old was he? You know, I don't know. Heather was, what, 36. She was just shy of turning, just shy of turning 36. So I think he was around the same age. So, so he was robbing the cradle. Something. Um, she looked very young also. But wow. she dated him for almost a year. And then she filed a protection order against him saying he beat and raped her. Right. Now, I saw an interview that Andy gave. It's like a news program or something talking to him. And they're asking him about it. And when they say, you know, she's accusing you of rape. And then he says, why, why if a woman, if someone's being raped, why wouldn't they go? Why wouldn't they go right ahead and report it to the police? Something like that. Well, how long do you have, Andy? I mean, could be. A hundred different reasons. Fear for your life. Traumatized. You know, all shook up. I mean, you know, there's a mi- million reasons. Plus being conflicted because when, when it's somebody like the husband, you know. Right. right. It was her boyfriend, so yeah. she would be. Or, yeah, boyfriend. I mean, then you're, you know, you're they had child. It is, com- it is complicated, so. And he managed to say in this interview that he had at least 100 hours of video of them involved in sexual acts. Now, I'm not sure why he would say that unless he was saying, look, I've got proof that I didn't rape her, but... Oh, because uh, because he had the video, then obviously he couldn't have raped her. Yeah, that that's real logical. I mean, that's like some of that guilty uh, guilty speak you know like like right he's going to hang covering himself but we know that if she had consensual sex with him 4,000 times and says no one time then that one time needs to be honored right it's it's no that one time let's say well and generally in that case what would probably happen is the relationship is starting to fall apart and you know she sometimes a man might try to force that on to uh, keep it going and then the woman might start saying no and then he would may force it so you know it may have been years of of good times you know or something well they only dated a year so I mean we're talking about the girlfriend now now we're not talking about Heather we're talking about the girlfriend. But they only dated about a year. The things that the nanny said, her name is Christy, and then the things that she reported in her order of protection and that she has said on in television interviews are so disturbing. Um, she said that once they were having sex and she was on her stomach and he wanted her to hold Heather's ashes so it would be like he was having sex with both of them. And he told her to look at Heather's picture and and to tell her that she could be getting this. 
like while they were having sex he wanted his girlfriend to look at his dead wife's picture and say to her you could be getting this i don't understand what that means you could be you could be having sex with him the girlfriend while they're having sex he wanted her to look at his dead wife's picture and tell the dead wife that she could be getting this like you could be getting having sex with him but look it's me but you know you're dead oh god yeah that's weird and when the reporter asked him about or told him what she had said all he said to that was she said that and exactly like that not oh my god that's horrible why would she say that he was it almost like you know i don't know like yeah that's definitely that's reeks of guilt and i mean i mean even if you had some trauma from yeah that would be a very weird thing for her to make up no i'm just saying yeah I, i don't i don't think she made it up and it just speaks to the strangeness of the situation in the circumstances of his wife's death and she had really stood by him through all this up until that point and now she says that she realizes she was completely brainwashed by andy and she's really trying to participate in the justice for heather i don't don't know whether she's come out and said what you know if she thinks that he did anything to her but i know she is being cooperative well that's good yeah that must be tough to get swindled by some psychotic lover and i mentioned the justice for heather facebook page and i'd recommend everyone go on that and support the people that have started that she's got a lot of outspoken friends um one some of her friends she has uh, joni miller who is married to jeremy miller and jeremy miller is the actor who played ben siever who was the little brother to Kirk Cameron's Mike Seaver on the 80s sitcom Growing Pains. And they were very good friends. And they are absolutely 100% convinced that Heather did not shoot herself. Yeah. I mean, it's sounding pretty pretty clear at this point. So here are my questions and thoughts about this. Now, he said that this happened around 5.30, but his call to 911 was at 6. So, was this just a simple mistake in his wording or time? But did he really wait half an hour before he called? Well, I thought you said he called his parents first. He did. Which was a little odd. But But surely he didn't talk to them for half an hour. Well, no, he probably had to clean up some. Like, then they say the wall was cleaned up. Right. And why was the gun in the bathroom? If she did take it in there, how did she get it in there without him knowing? From what I understand, she had, she did have a gun, but that she kept it in her car. Right. And everyone said that Heather liked to write on the justice for heather facebook page there's all kinds of letters that she wrote long letters so it seems odd that she'd write i'm sorry i love you as 
her suicide note. Nothing to her children. Nothing. I, I mean, unless. That sounds like his words. Sorry, really, I love you. It sounds like to me something she wrote for a different reason. You know, she wrote a lot of notes. Oh, yeah, like they might have had a fight or something one night. It could have been from two years before. Yeah. And why was that wall clean? I mean, it's noted in the investigator report that it appeared that a wall near the toilet had been cleaned. The investigator said that there is as much evidence on the side of homicide as there is on the side of suicide. What about the angles and the, you know, what kind of gun was it? I haven't heard anything about that. I don't know what kind of gun it was. I don't know if, if her hands were tested for gunshot residue, if his hands were tested. I don't know anything about the angle. I don't know except that she was shot in the head. I do know that they did not find a bullet. They didn't find the bullet. Right, so I don't know if that means it was still in her head or what was meant by that. I guess that's that's possible. Well, I also want to know why was Heather supposedly being fired from her job? He mentioned that in the investigators noted this noted that when they asked him what kind of state of mind she was in, he said she was upset because she was going to be fired. But I can't find anyone who knows or anything about that. Anyone that she told, like if she if she knew, she didn't tell anyone. Now, she worked for Paulding County Probate Court, and so did Andy's mother, Pam. Pam was a deputy clerk with the probate court. So maybe she knew and she had told Andy or told Heather. I don't know how long she supposedly knew about this being fired thing yeah well there's a couple of red flags there first of all it it sounds like a made-up reason to give him to put the police off of his trail and like you know telling her something telling them something that some reason she would be that upset i mean that is a, a legitimate reason but i mean I hate to say it, believe it or not, you know, I might have lost a job or two in my life, and I never really wanted to uh, blow my brains out in the shower over it. But so something that sits really wrong with me is that the whole nanny thing in two weeks, like going on a trip, and I mean, I, I can't think of any possible situation where that would be going on, you know? Suicide or not? I mean, it, it, it's, that's awful. Who's going to be ready to go to on a cruise in two weeks? Apparently, Andy Turner. Um, I really also want to know if if anyone knows if Andy had ever held Heather at gunpoint before. This is purely speculation on my part, but there's some un- online comments that hint at him being into like some S&M type stuff. So I have this scenario in my head that's like the shower is a reward or punishment of some kind. Either he's telling her she can take a shower and get clean after she does what he wants her to or either he made her get in there to get clean because she's dirty um 
in his words. You know, I, I can just see this whole thing playing out. But I'm wondering if he held a gun on her as part of his crazy sex play and maybe she didn't want to do something or he lost control and he shot her because i think he definitely had some some weird fetishes and i would i'd really like to know if there were other women he's been with in which he used a gun during sex or it's somehow or another involved in sex i'm just wondering if the police did that gunshot residue test on his hands I mean you know I guess there's certain stuff you can wash your hands with and all that but this seems kind of odd right and I know that there is all this like I said are, are my theories and I understand that people have consensual um, BDSM relationships in which no one's being abused and, but I have heard stories of relationships that start out with consensual stuff like that. And then one partner kind of crosses the line into true abuse and disguises it as part of the lifestyle. And when oh, I'm yeah. listening to that nanny when she's talking, that is what it makes me think of. It's like somebody who kind of brainwashed you into something or got you involved in something. And then it turns out to be more than what you expected and it's kind of like turning into it's not fun or enjoyable anymore it becomes like they're using it to abuse you well let's just say you know he he did it and so maybe in his psychotic mind the new girl might take uh, a little bit of the craziness out of that for a while but eventually, you know, just because he killed her doesn't mean he's going to be able to, like, carry on his normal life and not be batshit crazy. Uh, like, asking her to hold her ashes and, like, basically telling her to simulate conversations between him and the dead girl, you know, right? Like, right. He's telling her to be jealous. Like, or, right. Yeah. I mean that's that's right there is uh to me that's extreme I mean that's that's circumstantial and all and I know it's not can't held up in a court without other evidence and stuff but but we can agree it's odd and oh he seems God, to be and everything I've seen about him again I am not a psychologist I'm not a psychiatrist I'm just a person who watches people and has been with a narcissistic person and he is he appears to me to be the epitome of narcissistic personality i'm not i can't quite someone who is just concerned with self oh yeah I mean, it's the, all about the them, right? Power. No matter what, it's all about them, how they look, how they appear, you know, and if something doesn't serve them the way that they want it to, if it's of no use to them anymore, then it's of no use. Right. Just That's, that's how a lot of these psychotic people do the stuff they do because like that guy that, and uh, was it Colorado that killed his daughters? Chris Watts. Yeah, and he just put him in a fucking oil barrel. I mean, 
good God, man. I mean, they, they, they got to be like that. Because there, there's no other way they could do something, some stuff like that without... In their sick minds, they've, they're justified or they're... Um, or not well, their that, family is just the, an extension of them, and when they don't want them anymore, or they won't do what they want them to anymore, it's like, it's, why does that need to exist? Right. It's almost like if my coat doesn't fit anymore, I take it off and I, I throw it in the trash can. It's nothing to me, like, and that's really how they look at it. It's like zero value for human life. Right. They, they're nothing outside of them. Right. I do think that this episode's a good one to talk about domestic violence because it is such a prevalent thing. Now, I don't know if Heather suffered from domestic violence from him. Her friends say that she did, but I don't have any proof of that, but I can see it having happened. It's, it's not such a far stretch because, you know, in, in the United States, on average, 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner. That would be men and women. I believe this that. is just physical abuse. I can't even imagine what statistics would be for like emotional abuse. 45% of female rape victims and 29% of male rape victims are raped by an intimate partner. And you know, here in North Carolina, I'm sad to say, we were one of the last states to make it a crime to rape your wife. I know. That's ridiculous. Like, just because you got married don't mean uh, things can't fall apart. And, you know, you're just supposed to always, you know, when, when people get psychotic, that's scary. You can't just, you know, what are you supposed to do? Just submit like a dog? Just let it finish. I mean, Jesus, man. Well, people think, I guess people that it hasn't happened to them, they don't understand how this happens, but it it can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter how educated they are, how financially well-off or not well-off they are. It doesn't, um, religious beliefs. There have been people well, that extremely successful people yeah. who have been abused. And part of that problem is the same people that maybe not the level of Chris Watts or this guy, but they don't have any empathy or sympathy these are also congressmen and senators and people that pass laws and uh, things like that so you know those same people will be sitting up there thinking well they're marrying wife you know it's their duty you know it's just i mean right there are still hopefully people that think that way dying out slowly but surely but no well we'll we'll go over some signs um of domestic violence of abuse um one of those would be your partner telling you that you can never do anything right um no that's not me i know i'm controlling you always say that to that degree but no this would be a little bit more than me oh hell you're getting on the red flag list being jealous of your friends and time that you're away and again this would be to extreme degrees um discouraging you from spending time with friends and family members embarrassing you or shaming you with putting you down um controlling all the money that is in the household like making you beg for any money to spend refusing to give you money 
Well, um, that that is a way that a that lot of abusers re- reading, control. Reading all your texts and social messages, you know. Right. Yeah. That That is another one of them. Um, controlling everything that you do, everything that you see, where you go, what you do. Not, not encouraging um, friendships, but discouraging them. Telling you you're a bad parent, threatening to take your children from you. That's another thing that they do. Control you with money and they control you with your children. They prevent you from working or attending school if they harm or threaten to harm your pets, um, intimidate you with violence, guns, knives, other weapons if they pressure you. Obviously, uh, physical abuse. Right, or pressuring you to have sex or to do things during sex that you do not want to, or pressuring you to use drugs or alcohol. Right. And I also have some tips for if you are someone that has a loved one or a coworker or a friend that you think might be in an abusive relationship and you don't know what to do. Um, the best thing to say to them is is that you care and come at them with no judgment. Um, let them know that it's not their fault, that you're there for them. Understand that it's probably very difficult and embarrassing for them to talk about it um just be available i think that's the most you know believe them and don't judge them and don't criticize them for staying because sometimes it is very hard and oftentimes they'll leave and go back leave and go back and you have to if you if you really care about them you have to continue to be a supportive person of course protect yourself don't put yourself in danger but just encourage them to do things that make them feel good and help them develop a safety plan and you can find that on different like um the hotline.org there is a a place on there where you can create a safety plan and that kind of helps them know exactly what they need to do if they need to leave yep that's very good advice because it's not it's definitely not easy i mean it ain't easy to break up and leave when everything is not violent and controlling just think about when people get divorces for just they can't get along and they end up deciding to be apart it still ain't easy you know, you still got to take one home and make them two and you have children involved. So it's not going to be so cut and dry that it's going to, you know, people kill me with that. Why you stay? You know, like like it's just so easy to, especially say if the person's only working a little bit or hell, even if they're only working full time, you got a child, you got uh, a whole house full of stuff and this person is so in a domestic violence way, they're scared to death of him. You know, right, and oftentimes may, the leaving is the most dangerous part. Yeah, you, you, you're, you're lucky to get a bag, much less, you know, you got a house full of personal possessions and memories and your child's toys and room. And I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot. Um, so that's why I agree with you. They need to be supported and, like you said, come up with a safety plan that uh, – will help lead to success and you know a safe place for them to go. And their numbers, um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline has a number that you can call if you're abused or if you you want to know how to help someone who is being abused. The number is one eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. 
I hope you enjoyed our show. I hope you learned something from it. And I hope we can get some kind of justice for Heather or at least find out exactly what happened. Um, please join us at our Facebook group, A Southern Sleuth. Go on to our website, a southernsleuthpodcast.com. We enjoy feedback. We enjoy hearing from you. And we thank you for listening. Thank you very much. A Southern Sleuth is a production of Cream Dream Studios. All episodes written and researched by Kathy. That's me. All music written and performed by Michael. That's me.